0: morning. The first lessons taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, Everything is Meaningless. That's the, uh, that's the heading at the start of the chapter. <laughs> it's actually quite meaningful, the book. <laughs> the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear, it's full of hearing. What has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. Is there anything new under the sun? Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. And the heading, Wisdom is Meaningless. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom, an author of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The second reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, which is on page 807 of your Bibles. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Uh, We continue to uh, explore uh, wisdom and uh, search for it as it's found in the scriptures. Uh, Let me again welcome you. Uh, It's great that we can actually come and do that this morning. You'd want to turn back to Ecclesiastes. Uh, We're continuing on looking one book, one week. Uh, We've been looking at wisdom books. We've seen Psalms and Proverbs. And now we turn to that particularly cheery reading that uh, John gave us. Uh, Meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanity. It's all utterly meaningless, Work with us, there, there is meaning, uh, be assured. Um, before we do uh, pray and look more closely as well, Nelson and Talia, it's their final week with us for a little while, I don't know how long, uh, it depends on who you ask, as to whether it's a couple of months or more than a couple of months, but heading to Victoria this, as of this week, uh, it's been a delight to have Nelson, Talia and Allegra part of our church life, who um, They will be missed and we look forward to their return. How about we pray for them before we look at the word? Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in so many ways. We thank you for the goodness of friendship and relationship. We thank you for the way that you uh, draw us together uh, here at church that we might know and uh, enjoy each other's company. Uh, Father, we thank you for Nelson and Talia and Allegra and we pray your blessing upon them as they head down to Victoria for some time. Uh, Father we pray that it would be a great time of them with uh, extended family but uh, as well it would be a great time as well for them to grow uh, in their love and knowledge of you. Uh, Father we do as well thank you for the gift of your word and we pray that uh, we would come to know you better by it, that we would uh, be struck by your spirit uh, and know your goodness that we might live in such a way that pleases and honours you. In Jesus name, Amen. It is hard to be wise, isn't it? Uh, it's hard to be wise, particularly when we live in a disordered world. You know, when where do you start on the track to wisdom when so much of life is actually quite frustrating? You know, the best laid plans you set uh, they come unstuck. You 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 do the right things, but the outcome comes out wrong. Uh, Robin uh, has worked hard for years, but um, office politics has meant that he has fallen out of favour with his boss. Uh, he's going backwards in his career rather than forwards. You know, what's he do? What's the wise way forward? Is it better for him to cop it sweet, uh, or to do what a coworker of his has done and just have a go and tirade at the boss? Now, well, sickness steps into life. You know, you've got that long trip, long planned big trip, uh, and last minute it has to be cancelled because of sickness. Uh, or a family who have had the joy and grief of three children uh, born to them, uh, one healthy. Largely, uh, one uh, severely disabled, and a third one they've buried. Now, how to be wise when just life is really frustrating? Now, and even when things go according to plan, there's an emptiness that can still remain, isn't there? Uh, Kerry Packer, uh, one time richest man in Australia, uh, was asked how much money was enough, and his reply was $1 more. You know, even when you're at the top, uh, there's no satisfaction. You know, or, the, or the teachers that I'm sure we all had at some point in our uh, schooling career, you could just tell they'd been worn down by the continual cycle of students kind of passing by them and they're back to square one again. You can just see how jaded they are as they turn up each day. Or, or you know, you've bought the perfect place. Um, only to find that you're perpetually repairing this and you're adjusting that and, you know, the faults that you missed on inspection or, or the yard equipment that you got organised for the kids only to discover that, you know, they're actually, you know, now at school and they're interested in the yard equipment and so you build the extension and then they've moved out of home by the time it's completed and, you know, how do you live wise when, when frustration is more often the case than satisfaction? See, wisdom, I've wanted to say over the last few weeks, is wisdom is recognising reality and then living in accordance with it. Uh, the Psalms, when we had the opportunity to look there, showed us that the wise life is in passion, that the wise life is living passionately for God uh, and bringing everything passionately to him. Our Proverbs last week showed us that the wise life is, is in discerning order through relationship with God. Yeah, but, but how do you, I suppose, discern that order when, when so much is frustratingly disordered? You know when you live a life where you kind of go orange plus apple seems to produce lemons. Well Ecclesiastes is a great book for dealing and helping us see where can we live wise in a disordered, frustrating world. At its heart living wise here, learning from Ecclesiastes is about recognising the frailty of life and the security of obeying God. It's about recognising the frailty of life and the security of obeying God. We'll look at Kind of each of those points, there's lots to say from Ecclesiastes, we'll just flesh out those two. First of all, it's about recognising the frailty of this life, uh, or in more its language, more the book of Ecclesiastes language, it's about the fact that life under the sun is Hebel. I know that's not a word you're used to hearing, it's okay, I'll explain it. Uh, See, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2 meaningless, meaningless, or Hebel, Hebel, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What, what does man gain from all his labour at which he toils under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. And, you know, you might remember as John read it, you know, it goes on, there's the same patterns of the world, just keeps happening again, verse 8, they're wearisome more than one can say. Uh, In verse 9, there's nothing new under the sun, you know, even when people say to you, oh wow, I've made a great new discovery, you kind of go, no, it's actually just kind of a repackaging of the same old thing, it's just you forgot, because in verse 11, nothing's remembered of old, you know, so you think you've come up with something new, but it's just that, no, no, it wasn't passed on, we just forgot it. Yeah, life under the sun is the way Ecclesiastes talks about speaking of the observable world. We go around and we look and we see this and, and the writer distinguishes it from life under heaven, you know, where, where the eternal perspective of God enters. And life under the sun, he wants to say, is Hebel. Um, hebel is, is the Hebrew word we have translated there as verse 2, in verse 2 is meaningless. Um, I don't normally kind of do the, don't like that word, here's the Hebrew. Uh, but sometimes it just doesn't capture the nuance. Uh, meaningless doesn't quite capture it. Uh, Hebel is more than that. He- Hebel is about um, something that's insubstantial and passing. He- Hebel is like the wind. It's like vapour. It's like breath. It's, it passes. It's like morning dew that when the sun comes out, it, it disappears. Um, Hebel is transient and it's fleeting. It's ephemeral, rootless and unstable. It, it's, it's, there's a certain fragility about it. Uh, In Deuteronomy 32, it's used there to speak about false gods. They're Hebel. In other words, there's a deceiving nature of it. They look like they're secure, but they're not. Uh, Hebel is vain, and it's meaningless in that sense that it's just something you can't really grasp because it'll always elude you. That's Hebel. And a life under the sun is Hebel. You know... 71 times the words used in the Old Testament, 38 of them are here in Ecclesiastes. Um, if there's anything you want to hear from it, it you, you need to get the idea that life here is Hebel. And, and what he does is he systematically dismantles life under the sun. Uh, so um, the, the teacher, of uh, 1 verse 2, he goes and he pursues life to its extreme. He samples everything to the max. And what he keeps discovering is that it's Hebel, it's fragile, it's fleeting, it's like you know, morning mist. It's endlessly repetitive and there's nothing new and it doesn't offer satisfaction that lasts. So he shows that wisdom is Hebel. In 117, I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom, also madness and folly. I learnt this. This too is a chasing after the wind, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. You know, I listen to the radio and I hear what's happening in Pakistan and I know more but I'm sadder for it. And even more he points out in 2 verse 16, uh, a great wickedness that goes on there. Wise and foolish, they still both die, they're still both forgotten. It doesn't make a difference. Wisdom is hebel, it's passing, it's ruthless, you still die. Uh, And he shows that pleasure is hebel too. Uh, In 2 verse 10 he's he's built up, he's talked about how he's kind of built his own pleasure palace. Um, He's got mansions, he's got gardens, he's got a harem. Uh, and he's tried, you know, he, he admits in 2 verse 10, he denied himself no pleasure. He, he did everything he could. Uh, and in the end, it's unsatisfying hebel. Now, it works the same, 2.21. He points out how a man may do his work with wisdom and knowledge and skill. And then he must leave all he owns to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, Hebel. Great misfortune. I mean, no, it isn't. You know, you've worked hard all your life and somebody else gets the credit for your work. Ecclesiastes 5 uh, shows how the same thing is, the, is with money and reputation, that, that life under the sun is ultimately all hebel, that, that it's fragile uh, and it's vain and it's passing and you just can't hold on to it, it doesn't satisfy. How does this help us be wise though? How does this help us in a disordered, in the midst of frustration, in a disordered world, how does it help us be wise? Uh, let me see. There's two ways. One, first of all, it helps us not to expect too much from life under the sun. So much of our frustration is, it comes from the fact that we're constantly tempted to give things of life more importance than they can actually bear, you know, give it too much weight than they can hold. You know, We know advertising campaigns stretch the truth a little, little, uh, and yet there is something in us that we're a little surprised that we buy a new car and it doesn't make us want to jump up into the air shouting, oh, what a feeling. You know, we kind of want to hope there's a bit more there. Uh, you know, we expect life you know, under the sun is going to be satisfying and fulfilling uh, and yet we know that you know, an inordinate number of people who've reached the, the kind of climax of their career, their ambition has been reached and they arrive there and then what do they do? They go, oh, is that it? Really? Yeah, or worse, you, you see people lose their jobs and actually they lose their whole identity because they've invested so much weight in what it can offer. And, and it's all part of this distorted thinking that we fall into thinking that, that consuming or work are, are more substantial than they actually are. You know, to think that they can offer what they've never been designed for. And Ecclesiastes is really helpful. It reminds us of the transient nature of wealth and of work and of reputation and of relationships and of pleasure and the fact that none of them will satisfy completely. It, it prepares us for them passing. See, to... So understand, if you grip this point, that, that it's all passing, that it's all hebel, it guards us from, from pursuing, chasing these things as though they're an end in themselves. It keeps them in their proper place. It, it, remembering it's hebel actually is a safeguard when life fails. You know, when work turns sour, and it will, and it does, knowing it's proper place is actually protection from it destroying you. And you read Ecclesiastes and it challenges, have you forgotten this? It puts that question to us. A good test of whether you believe parts of life are fleeting is uh, try a little bit of cutting back. So cut back the hours at work. Or give more of your wealth away. Uh, Withdraw a little from your family and friends. Uh, Deny yourself one of your simple pleasures that you enjoy daily or weekly. I want to say if, if any of those things strike a particularly painful nerve... Uh, it may be you've invested too much security in what is really vapour. Secondly, it helps us be realistically realistic about what we control. So, the, the passing nature of life under the sun, it makes us realistic that it's foolish to think that we can have control. Uh, Ecclesiastes is anti-cause and effect. Uh, so in 6 verse 1, have a look. I've seen another evil under the sun and it weighs heavily on men. God gives a man wealth, possessions and honour. He lacks nothing his heart desires but God does not enable him to enjoy them and a stranger enjoys them instead. This is Hebel, meaningless, a grievous evil. Ecclesiastes reminds us of the frustration that we have because the world just doesn't go the way we want but it actually does go according to God's plan. Notice that? He's the one who gave it and he gives elsewhere. Yeah, in Ecclesiastes 3, it talks about there being a time for everything. Uh, you know, Time to be born, time to die, time to plant, time to sow. There's a famous 60s pop song that did it. and you know, Yeah, you're there. Now, there's a time for everything, but there's a time for everything because it's appointed by God in 3 verse 11. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Yeah. The world seems like it's in disorder and frustrating when the reality is the world is not in my order. The world is not under my control and so that's why I'm frustrated. Ecclesiastes shows us that if you want to be wise, you'd be realistic about giving up control. I reckon that's a, a challenge for us. I think by and large our, our gathering of people here are, we have a higher than average number of control freaks you can disagree with me later on but I think we've got successful people who are used to controlling life and in Ecclesiastes God is is shown I suppose the picture you get of God is that that he is aloof and He is removed from us and yet all the time he's in control of what's going on and the world is is set out in Ecclesiastes as a place suitable for sinners you know, a kind of place that's disordered and out of our control in such a way that it helps remind us we've got to give up control and be reconciled with the one who does control. As someone put it, life under the sun doesn't work, but God does. He works not to make life easy, but surprise us and invite us into relationship with him. You know, Romans 8, when you get to the New Testament, picks up that, that kind of frustrated world order of Ecclesiastes and it points to a better time when, when the groaning of creation will be, be released and relieved from bondage to decay, a a time when the work of Christ will be fulfilled. But for now, for now the challenge is to be wise and give control over to him. A man of uh, good standing in the Christian community I know of threw it all away. Uh, he'd come through the ranks as a you know, youth group to become the youth group leader. And, you know, he was a good, solid member of the church as time went on. He, he uh, was an elder in the church. He, uh, as a doctor, uh, he'd gone and done missions and things like that. Uh, but then he left his family to be with his mistress. Uh, when he was asked, I suppose, by friends what, what had happened, uh, he talked about how he'd never actually really given control over to God. He'd just simply always been doing what he enjoyed. It just turned out that a lot of what he enjoyed involved going to church and doing respectable churchy kind of things. Now, he's a warning to us, but, but so is the disorder of the world. You know, the failed job, uh, your dissatisfaction with pleasure, uh, the sickness and, and the loss of reputation, they're all circumstances that, that God creates so we stop pretending we're in control. And I'm sure you've had that experience, I've had it, Uh, probably the most out of control times, most disordered and frustrating times of life that I've experienced reminded me I'm not in control. Have you given control completely over to God? I was challenged by something I read about Christians being willing to love to a point. You know, that many Christian people love but they want to keep control. And so they won't love beyond their comfort zone and they won't love in ways they don't find natural or easy or they won't love in a way that makes them vulnerable. Uh, We love, of course, but but to a point because we want to keep control. Is that us? Ecclesiastes shows us the wise life is recognising that this life is frail, it is hebel. Don't expect too much from it, don't try and control too tightly. But it would be wrong to walk away from Ecclesiastes being all doom and gloom. You know, don't just kind of meaningless, meaningless, you know, kind of kneel from the young ones if that means anything to people. You know, it's not that kind of book. You know, it, it shows us that, that the wise life is, is also, can be found in recognising security. And there is security in obeying God. So the way the, the teacher speaks of it is, is that it's actually, there's pleasure in life under heaven. Ecclesiastes understands that we may not be able to fathom the order of this world, but the God who made it does. So, 7 verse 14: When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider. God has made one as well as the other, and therefore a man cannot discern anything about his future. See, God controls it all. We, we can't fathom it, but he, He's put in our hearts uh, a, a sense of eternity. We know there's got to be something more, and so what's the wise choice? The wise life is is to find the security of obeying the one who understands it all. That's chapter twelve. It's dedicated to that conclusion. So uh, chapter twelve starts off: uh, remember your creator in the days of your youth, and it gives this kind of extended metaphor of aging. Uh, and he comes to a conclusion: in twelve thirteen. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. You see, life here might be hebble. You know, It might be fleeting, it might be pointless. Seemingly, it's passing. But there is actually a judge who sees it all and will judge it all, even the hidden things, which actually gives value it, it, to, to the things that go on. There is something beyond it. The, the, the eternity He's set in our hearts can make sense when you realise he will judge it and he will act upon it, and he will take it all into account. There is a security of something that will last beyond what we see in the fact that God sees and he loves it when people obey. How does this help us when we're in a frustrated, disordered world? Well, Firstly, it encourages us to to enjoy the gifts he gives. Ecclesiastes, you've misunderstood Ecclesiastes if you walk away thinking that life is futile and miserable what it's doing is exposing the problem we have of thinking that our life is an achievement. Instead, it pushes us back to go, enjoy the gifts that you don't deserve, that you can't hold on to. You know, 3 verse 13, eat, drink, take pleasure in your work. That is God's gift. Uh, In 519, wealth and possessions, God's gift to be enjoyed. Sure, life is fleeting, and I want to say, if you, you've been tempted to get in that position where you go, oh, life, where it's at at the moment, if I could just hold on to this. And maybe you've been there. You know, things are just going swimmingly. Just, sadly, that's foolishness because <laughs> you can't hold on to it. But the wise life says, I'll enjoy it now. This is a gift of God's. I can't control it, but I will enjoy it now. You know, just like the Psalms pushed us to see that wisdom is passion, not calm indifference, uh, Ecclesiastes says wisdom is there in enjoyment, not, not despair. You know, why do you remember your Creator in the days of your youth? Well, So you don't waste a lifetime of not enjoying the good gifts he gives you. Right. Jesus enjoyed a lot of opposition in life. Um, one of the criticisms he received was that he just enjoyed life too much. He was accused of being a, a glutton and a drunkard, uh, not because he was, but because he liked to party. Uh, in Jewish culture, the book of Ecclesiastes was meant to be read annually uh, at a particular feast. They had a thing called the Feast of Tabernacles, um, fancy way of saying Feast of Tents, uh, kind of like a camping holiday. They remembered and had a party remembering the time they lived in the wilderness when God provided things for them. Uh, why read Ecclesiastes then? Why is it a party book? Because uh, it's a reminder, enjoy that moment that God has provided You know, enjoy life. I, I want to say that's why I Heart Curability is such a fantastic event for us to be running. because you know, it's about enjoying life. Our God's a creative God. His world is not beige. He's an engineer and an artist. He's both those things. He, he makes an efficient but pleasurable world. Yeah, you know, I Heart Curability is, is more than just a great art exhibition. You know, it, it says that we value joy. We value creativity. Uh, it says we love the community. Uh, And even more, just just by us running it, just by being on our property, in our building, it frames it by saying it's God who gives it. It's God who actually approves and delights in enjoyment. Now, the wise life takes the gifts of life always with gratitude. Uh, 1 Timothy 4 puts it, everything God created is good. Nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. But we're helped in one final way uh, by the insights of Ecclesiastes. In the face of frustration, the security of obeying God reminds us that work for God is not in vain. The the wisdom is in discerning the difference between activities under the sun and activities under heaven, that which lasts. God the judge sees it all. It means that even hidden things have eternal value. To obey him and keep his commands is an opportunity to to get involved in something that is not Hebel, but something that lasts. A woman I heard interviewed on the radio talks about how, or she was sharing how she still speaks uh, to and about her dead husband. Uh, he'd been dead for about 10 years. Uh, she does it because she's scared he'll be forgotten. Yeah, that's the eternity God has set in our hearts. But even her method won't work when she passes. He'll be forgotten, she'll be forgotten. But we can actually engage in a work that is eternal. When Christ lived amongst us, um, he saw the frustration of a disordered world. There's this great moment in Mark 7 uh, where he's about to uh, heal a deaf man, a deaf mute. Uh, in 734, um, just before he heals him, he lets out this groan, this sigh. It's almost like he's, he's frustrated with this fleeting, decaying world, but then he overturns it. Yeah, he sees the frustration, but he's not beaten by it. He, he died and rose not just to pay for the sins of a disordered world, but to actually transform it. To bring about a new perfected order in the resurrection. Um, When you get to 1 Corinthians 15, have a read of that later on, um, there's this transformation that that will come about because Jesus has had victory over sin and death, and that everyone who trusts in Jesus will share in that. And so Paul concludes in 1 Corinthians 15, because of this great future, um, that their labour in the Lord is not in vain, it is not hebel, it's not wasted. You know, our acts of loving God and loving other people, um, even more introducing people to, to the work of Jesus, it's never in vain. It actually has eternal value in the, in the eyes of God who sees everything. You know, I was chatting to some people over uh, morning tea at 8am. Uh, they regularly holiday in Southeast Asia um, and they always take Christian tracts in the local language wherever they go. They've done it in China. They just got back a few weeks ago from Vietnam uh, where they almost got arrested. Uh, for what they were doing, standing around handing out tracts, and I was really struck um, in the fact that here are people who who understand the work of the Lord is not in vain. Not only do they remember to do things like that on their holidays, uh, but they do it at high risk in dangerous places. You know, so many of our our neighbours live um, devoted to things that will pass and have no substance. And we have the opportunity to actually invite them in to live wisely, to live for something that will last and satisfy that longing for eternity they have, to live obeying the commands of the God who sees all. You know, again, that's, that's really what I Heart Kiribili is about, isn't it? it? It gives us the chance to have people come and join with us, build relationship that we might speak to them of the living and true God. You know, explain, we can invite our friends, you know, come and see an artwork, create, I suppose, a little bridge that we might speak to them of life that is so much more. So our world is distorted and it is disordered and, and it is frustrating, but it doesn't mean we can't be wise. Instead, as we recognise the frailty of this life and where real security is found in obeying God, we actually can be wise. And let's pray that we would be. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and we thank you that he is our wisdom and righteousness and redemption. Uh, And we thank you that even in a frustrated, uh, decaying world, uh, there is possibility to live wise. Father, help us to see the passing nature of the things we try and hang on to. uh, And even more, help us to delight in the gifts you give us and live in obedience to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.